Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we made it to Friday again. I think that's a good martini in and of itself. Glad you're with us for the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool here at the bar is ready, and we have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. Uh, Jim, another Olympic martini. We've had at least one already this week when we talked about the Iranian defector thanking Israel, dedicating his silver medal in judo, in fact, to the Israelis. That was fantastic. This one is a good martini, but it's got a really dark undertone, which could easily make it in many ways a bad martini because it details... uh, new ways that China is cracking down on Hong Kong. This comes to us from Newsweek, which, as we were talking about before we started recording, is uh, coming across as far more rational lately. So I don't know if there's a change in ownership. But anyway, here's what's happening with Hong Kong and China. Hong Kong police have launched an investigation into the booing of China's national anthem during a screening of an Olympic medal ceremony. A large crowd had gathered on different levels of the APM Mall in Kwantong on Monday to watch a screening of the fencer Edgar Chung Kalong triumph in the men's individual foil final. As the crowd watched him receive his gold medal on the podium, there was a negative reaction to the Chinese national anthem being played. Video filmed at the scene shows the tune being met with jeering before the crowd started to shout, We are Hong Kong! We are Hong Kong! A recently passed law in the city has made it illegal to insult the Chinese national anthem. And on Friday, Agence France Press uh, tweeted that a man had been arrested for insulting the Chinese national anthem, according to Now News and Oriental Daily. Uh, Meanwhile, CNN International reporting uh, that the man was found to be carrying, get this contraband, Jim, 10-inch British Hong Kong colonial flags of varying sizes And uh, Hong Kong police said his goal was to incite hatred and to politicize the Olympic Games. And so, obviously, the fact that you could be prosecuted for not being appropriately respectful of the Chinese national anthem is horrific. But you gotta love the spirit of these Hong Kong people that even though they got the Chinese boot on their throat, they're showing up in public and letting the Chinese government know they hate what's happening and that they love their freedom, what's left of it, and they certainly love what used to be their freedom. Greg, today's good martini is that indeed there are people in this world who value freedom. They value freedom of expression. They value their ability to share what they think about the world and not have any government authority tell them what they can and can't do. In fact, there are some people in this world who don't even care about all the power that the Chinese government has, all of their military force, all of their enormous resources, they're willing to say, hey, this is wrong. I am who I am and you can't tell me. Problem is they're all in Hong Kong and none of them are in America's corporate boardrooms. Exactly. Um, it'd be nice if we could get a little bit more of that over on this side too, but apparently that's just too much to ask. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and also let's observe that like the Biden administration hasn't been a complete doormat on China, but I think particularly on the issue of Hong Kong, they really have, and they, they've, they've instituted some sanctions. They've said most of the big things, but by and large, we're, you know, we are standing witness, as Barack Obama used to say, which is a really nice way of saying we're standing and watching what's happening and not really doing too much <laughs> about that. Uh, so kind of disappointing. And I think each time the people of Hong Kong stand up and do this, I think it further, it's a greater nudge to our government to say, hey, you know, you're supposed to be the arsenal of democracy. You're supposed to be the, you know, the city on a hill, the one who stands up for all this stuff. 
at minimum, you should be speaking out about this every opportunity you get. And that's not exactly the approach of this administration. Is there any country that really went beyond the tisk tisk phase of responding to China's crackdown in Hong Kong? I know the Australians did some things with some sanctions, and I think the Brits did as well. And you mentioned that we've done a little bit here and there, but I mean, come on, it's not like we've done anything that's actually going to deter China or, or makes them rethink what they've done, right? Over in the UK, there was talk about giving everybody with Hong Kong citizenship, British citizenship, so they could get out of there. And of course, along the process, uh, the UK would get all of the most freedom-loving and entrepreneurial citizens that Hong Kong had, which sounded pretty, sounds like a pretty sweet deal when you think about it. Um, all in all, you know, I think because of historical connection in the case of Britain and geography, uh, it's a, uh, in the case of Australia, they're probably a little more motivated on this. The United States has a full plate of problems and things it's got to worry about. But I think that, by the way, is like part of what China is counting on. This sense that, you know, most European countries and the US and most of the other countries that would ordinarily stand up to authoritarianism and stand up for human rights, and things like that. They're just too busy. They're just not concerned about this. We're really not in the business of standing up for human rights anymore, which is exactly the message that every authoritarian regime around the world wants to hear. Yeah, and one exit point for me on this, uh, for those who uh, think America is oppressive and they take the knee during the anthem where they speak out against the country, which is their right to do, we have the right to disagree with our freedoms as well, uh, unless you do something violent or uh, otherwise extreme, you're not going to prison for it. You might take a lot of heat for it. You might get condemned for it by a lot of different uh, sectors of our society. But you don't have to worry about uh, people rounding you up and throwing you in a gulag for the rest of your life. And so the next time you think that America is the worst place on earth, guess again. Let's face it. There's probably, there's probably no position that would get you more rewarded in, in when I say certain corners of the United States, like it's not just, you know, it's university campuses. I think there's pl there's very few corporate offices that would give you much grief about that. Certainly not most local governments, state governments, you know, serving national. There are very few positions saying, you know, the United States stinks and we're a terrible country and we've always been a terrible. That actually gets you rewarded in a whole bunch of places. Hollywood, you know, things like places, Silicon Valley, you know. You know, in fact, saying, no, no, we're a terrific place and we've been a terrific place from the beginning, even if we've always had problems. That's a much more controversial and dangerous statement to make. Yeah, people protesting for freedom in Hong Kong, waving the American flag, same in Cuba. And uh, you're right, it might be more controversial to wave our own flag here than to denounce it in some places, which is which is sad. But why does every good martini end up with us depressed? We got to figure out a way to make these things happier. Good job, people in Hong Kong, for, for standing true to what you believe in. All right, Jim, we at least refocused a little bit on why that's the good martini, but let's talk about some other good news, and that's the fantastic products that are available to you through Tommy John. And they've got a brand new product for men, Apollo. Apollo is Tommy John's newest and most advanced men's underwear yet, with a performance-grade dry-release fabric blend that is exclusive to Tommy John. It's Tommy John's latest comfort innovation, and you just can't get it anywhere else. Apollo men's underwear is proven to keep you drier and up to seven degrees cooler than regular cotton underwear. And that's one of the reasons Tommy John doesn't have customers, they have fanatics. Apollo underwear is soft, supportive, stretches for the perfect fit every day, and is available up to size 4XL. And with more than 15 million pairs sold, men across America love Tommy John underwear. 
And if you go to their website, it's not just men who can get uh, great products there, but uh, the ladies can as well. The Apollo is uh, obviously exclusively men's underwear. Uh, love the Tommy John products. I love the t-shirts. I love the undies. I love the uh, the lounge pants. Fantastic as well. They really are a cut above uh, their competitors uh, when it comes to these wonderful products and uh, the fact that they're out with this brand new uh, underwear, especially in the summertime where it keeps you cooler. Apollo is something you definitely want to check out. So uh, don't forget that Apollo also comes with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free uh, guarantee. And right now, get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash martini. Go to TommyJohn.com slash martini for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash martini. See site for details. All right, on to our uh, bad martini today, Jim. And there's a mysterious dread about the Delta variant coming out today that's been leaked out of the CDC. Uh, This is the Washington Post reporting this. A person working in partnership with the CDC on investigations of the Delta variant who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak said the data came from a July 4th outbreak in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Genetic analysis of the outbreak showed that people who were vaccinated were transmitting the virus to other vaccinated people. The person said the data was, quote, deeply disconcerting and a canary in the coal mine for scientists who had seen the data. But the data is not included uh, in these leaks, and there are leaks to multiple organizations. So it's not just uh, one rogue leak here. Uh, So, Jim, I'm also hearing that they uh, believe now that the Delta variant is uh, more easily transmissible than the earlier versions. And I think we kind of already knew that. They're also are wondering if it might actually be more virulent. Uh, we had not heard that before, but again, no actual data or details on that. So what's your takeaway here? I'm going to try to avoid my cliche of there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, <laughs> let's observe. Like, let's assume you've got a virus that is more contagious than previous re- versions of SARS-CoV-2. Now let's picture a bar in Provincetown on 4th of July weekend. <laughs> picture, I'm guessing not a lot of social distancing. Guessing not a lot of people six feet apart, probably people practically right on top of each other, or who knows, maybe in some cases they are on top of each other. Um, that's you know, that's exactly the sort of circumstance you expect to see rapid transmission. A uh, lot of frustration with the CDC today, and it's not just you know, crazy right wingers like myself, uh, Liana Wen, who formerly was with Planned Parenthood, formerly Baltimore Public Health Commissioner. Uh, you see her on CNN, she writes for the Washington Post. She says, Look, yeah, you know, vaccinated people can transmit Delta, that's what this says. Uh, she points out, like, based on what we can find out of this, the majority of transmission is still by the unvaccinated, and that's where our focus should be. And she's saying, look, they should have released this data earlier. We can't wait for peer review. If the CDC is going to change uh, its, its guidance, then you really got to show us the data. You really got to show us why this is going on. And Scott Gottlieb is saying similar comments. Again, let's notice this is, you know, we're getting leaks of what this is internal report. And, you know, my guess is if you want to say we're changing the rules, say why. Lay it out. Be clear. Um, and it really feels like a, a you know, just, just poor public health communications here. Finally, one last note. I just put this up in the corner. There's a, one sentence in that story really jumped out at me where it, uh, you know, one of the slides in this presentation that has everybody at the CDC freaking out is this estimate that there are 35,000 symptomatic infections per week among the 162 million vaccinated Americans. Well, we're up to like 180, 190. So it's, this is from some time ago. Um, Greg, I, I don't expect you to do the math off the top of your head. I actually have that, but you know, does that seem like 35,000 out of 162 million? Does that seem like a lot? No. 
Yeah. In fact, it's one out of every 4,628 people. I don't know about you. I like those odds. I feel okay. You know, because here's the other thing. People say, oh, well, that's once a week. Next week, you're, you can catch it again. Okay. So no, one, you know, the next week, it's one out of 4,600 this time. I can do that a whole bunch of weeks in a row without worrying about it too much. And let's say, okay, let's say you do get a breakthrough infection and you get symptomatic. You know, you feel sick. That, that's going to suck. That, that's going to be no fun, you know, but I've had no people who've been through it. You know, they felt like they had a cold or the flu for a couple of days and then they got better and, you know, life went on and they themselves did not end up in a hospital. They didn't die. And that's what this vaccine says it's going to do. It doesn't say we can prevent all infections. And yes, once in a great while, you'll get infected and you'll still have symptoms like one out of every 4,600 times. I can like if you're that scared about that, I'm amazed you ever get into a motor vehicle because your odds of being in a car accident are much more likely and your odds of being in a, you know, in a fatal one. I looked it up. If there's a car accident, your odds of dying are like one in 107. That's, you know, that's like less than 1%. That's not bad, but it's way higher than your chances of getting a symptomatic breakthrough infection if you're vaccinated. You know, so once again, there's this really unnerving sense that all of these policy decisions are being guided by people who either are very bad at risk calculation and who think that, you know, who can't understand how rare it is, or people who have basically zero tolerance for risk and want to go back to DEFCON 1, you know, March 2020 over any possibility of any statistical figure that looks bad. You know, the messaging on this has obviously been horrible. The CDC has been all over the map on this from the get-go, even before uh, vaccines were widely available. But one of the things I think has been most poorly explained is uh, what the effectiveness rate means. It doesn't mean you have a 95% chance necessarily of not getting COVID. It means you have a 95% chance of triggering an immune response, which will make it a fairly mild case. And I even saw Senator Roy Blunt out there talking about how, you know, you only have a 5% chance of getting it if if you've got one of the more effective vaccines. That's not correct. And so I think people thinking that there are virtually no chance of getting it at all uh, is is leading to the freakout on some level here. But it really just means you have a much better chance of having a very mild case if you even realize you have it at all. Yeah. I mean, like one of the things that's been very frustrating throughout the, you know, really for the last couple of weeks, but even, even kind of argue throughout the, uh, the entire pandemic is when people talk about a case and generally they, they envision somebody getting sick. They may even envision somebody getting hospital or something like that. And, you know, the, the, vir- the vaccine from the beginning never said we will give you 100% protection, you'll never get it. The, va- the virus is going to get into you. The more important thing is, is can your body fight it off? And the vaccine give you, know, by giving your, your, uh, in your, um, your system effectively practice against, you know, when they give you the vaccine, they're not putting the virus into you. But they're putting something into it that is similar enough to SARS-CoV-2 that when it, your immune system, your, your white blood cells, like, oh, this is something bad in our body. We better go figure it out. So that's why, you know, oftentimes some people who do have a reaction, they do have a fever. They do feel tired. They do feel a certain amount of sickness because their bodies reacted like, oh, we got something in us. We got to, you know, get rid of. Let's go. And that can, you know, generate mucus and that can make you feel lousy. It can lower your energy levels. You feel tired all perfectly normal. Now it doesn't say you'll never test positive. And oh, by the way, remember we still have our certain, you know, the testing has not magically gotten much more effective in the past six months. If you know, it's generally reliable, but sometimes you're gonna get some bad results in there. Anyway, that's where we are deeply frustrating. And I just have this feeling that there are a whole bunch of people who've just been, you know, ready at a moment's notice to uh, end up going back to, you know, uh, March, 2020, both psychologically and, you know, in physical in terms of restrictions. Um, and I just, you know, 
just can't stand it, Greg. I just, you know, dreading how things are going to change over the next couple of weeks and months over a threat that I think is very manageable, particularly for the people who are vaccinated. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The people who love the power and the people who are perfectly fine with them continuing to wield it. Just amazing. All right. After that, you might want to nap. But if you're going to take a nap, you want quality products. Uh, and that would include my pillow, of course. But in addition to the great pillows, you've got the great sheets we've talked about and the fantastic towels. Nothing beats the feel of a luxurious towel when you step out of the shower, and the MyPillow towel set is fantastic. They're big, they're soft, they're fluffy, they dry you off super, super quick, and right now, they're still on a huge discount. In fact, the six-piece towel set, which is regularly $109.99, is only $39.99. Now, these six-piece towel sets include two bath towels, two hand towels, and a washcloth two-pack, they are made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent, soft to the touch, but none of that lotion-y feel. They're made with cotton grown right here in the United States, available in a variety of colors and sizes, machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee, as well as a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. The MyPillow six-piece towel set for just $39.99. Fantastic deal. And while you're there, take advantage of the other deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the MyPillow premium pillows. Again, it's MyPillow.com, code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, for our crazy martini, let's talk about another aspect of the government's uh, COVID response. This actually came in the December COVID bill uh, signed by President Trump. And uh, part of that was supposed to be $46.5 billion in emergency funds aimed at getting rent to tenants at risk of eviction. Remember, we've had this eviction moratorium since March of last year which in some ways is good for the tenants, not so good for the landlords. Uh, so hopefully upkeep hasn't been hurt too much on this, not to mention the bottom line of the landlords themselves. But the problem is, is that this $46.5 billion emergency fund has been painfully slow uh, to get off the ground, with some states and counties, according to the Washington Post, unable to spend even a dollar of the money they were provided months earlier. And this is especially significant because the eviction moratorium in most places ends at the end of July. That's tomorrow. So come August, uh, there are some people who probably would have been uh, targets for this aid, and they're not getting it. So far, just 12% of the first $25 billion in funds had actually reached people in need. And so big government people say, well, the problem here is that the uh, state and local governments are running these programs, Jim. That was the way the legislation was designed. If the feds had been doing this, it would have been much, much smoother, and we wouldn't be having this problem. Not so sure about that. We know how the feds tend to run things. But uh, what do you make of uh, this mess more than six, I guess seven months after this legislation was passed? Well, the first thing, Greg, I'm going to share a story on this podcast I don't think I've ever shared before. And I don't even know if I've told you off air. Years and years back, uh, my wife and I wanted to sell our old place, wanted to move into a new one. Um, real estate market was not great. And so we uh, ended up renting. Our first renter, I'm not really exaggerating. Turned out to be a drug dealer. Uh, they're bad, Greg. You know, don't do drugs, kids. And also, <laughs> don't rent your home to your your old home to one. Uh, we we got the the uh, tenant evicted. Uh, things turned out okay eventually, 
Uh, but let's just say there were all kinds of headaches and calls to the police and things like that that went very badly because of this. Uh, we looked out in Virginia, it's fairly easy to evict someone. Uh, apparently in certain other states, I believe like at least at the time we were going through this, in a place like Florida, you can't evict someone for a year. Um, and that's why I say evict one, like, you know, the sheriff shows up and say, you, you know, you got to get out of here and, you know, get your, your, your stuff out of the living quarters and things like that. Um, so I, I about one little experience of that, like, you know, one, be careful who you rent to. There was obviously no red flags that this person was a, a bad dude. Uh, but what's more is that sense of like, you know, if you end up with a tenant who just won't pay, and oh, by the way, despite the drug, like if my drug dealer tenant had been paying the rent, Greg, this might've been a different story. I might've been able to live with that, but uh, that was the real, you know, and it was, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you rent out something and then your tenant just decides to stop paying in a state like Virginia, I think you got to give them like one or two months to try to get the money in certain states, you got to give them a year. Well, for you, you're not collecting, like if you don't own that property, if you yourself are paying down a mortgage or you yourself are uh, subletting your place or something like that, you're in deep doo-doo because you don't have any money coming in, even though you, you know, let somebody move in with the assumption that they would pay this. So for anybody who's in that situation during this COVID, okay, it's COVID, you know, all kinds of people are laid off. All kinds of people are in dire straits that they never expected to. They thought their employment and their income was reliable and stable. Got it. Fine. Okay, but it's July, right? Like, like it's now well more than a year. We're now in the neighborhood of like, you know, 16 months of this. If you are a landlord, now obviously all kinds of folks were given, you know, uh, assistance for these sort of things. But, you know, when are re- you know, tenants allowed to say, okay, it's time for you to start paying rent again. We've seen the economy pretty much rebound. We've seen uh, all kinds of stimulus payments and all kinds of this. The other thing that kind of, kind of jumps out of this is, you know, you get into like kind of philosophical arguments with liberals. One of the core arguments, and people who've read the Weed Agency can, can guess this, but like, even if you want government to do more, the track record is that government doesn't do a lot of stuff well. It, it doesn't multitask. We want to give it those core couple of duties, primarily involved protecting our rights, and all these other things that it could do to make society a better place. Let somebody else handle it. If you know, at, at minimum, let the states handle it. Let push it down to the, the local government, the levels of government that are most responsive to the people. Uh, but even ideally, community groups and all kinds of, they're much more accountable than the average than, than you know than government is. And then you'll see arguments from folks on the left and say, yes, but you know what the federal government is good at? It's good at spending and distributing money. When there's a crisis, the federal government is really good at moving lots of money to the people who need it. And in theory, that's true. But once again, in practice, you look at examples like that. It actually isn't. The money you know gets sent out to the accounts of the people who need it. But it does not necessarily uh, end up, you know, it gets into the accounts of state and local governments and, and sometimes other, you know, quasi-governmental institutions and things like that. But it doesn't actually get spent to the people who need it very quickly. A good example of this came from the GAO more than just, uh, just a couple of days ago. More than one trillion in pandemic relief aid that was approved over the last year has still not been spent including $156 billion from the Department of Health and Human Services and another $210 billion that was allocated for state and local governments. Now, you may have heard there's this infrastructure deal that they're trying to work on at Capitol Hill. You might say, hey, oh, look at that. There's $1 trillion in those accounts we haven't spent yet. Well, the pandemic looks like it's, you know, we've, we've dealt with most of it. It's you know, most of the problems. Maybe we can take some of that money. No, 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 don't worry. Negotiators have said we're not going to use any of that $1 trillion that's unspent towards infrastructure. All of it will be new spending. All of it will be new borrowing. Um, so I just lay that out. It just seems a spectacular example of how even something that seems relatively simple, you know, make sure people don't get evicted by sending out lots and lots of money. 
even that federal government can't do particularly well. <laughs> and Greg, I just find myself saying, you know what? Thank goodness it's Friday. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, follow-up question on your uh, your tenant, and I use that with uh, air quotes. Uh, usually people who uh, fail to pay rent really leave the place in fantastic condition when they're finally forced to leave. What was your experience? That's you know, The fact that you're asking that makes me think I did mention this to you at some point. Because um, <laughs> I... Not like not only was the place trashed, and I found hypodermic needles in what was my son's bedroom. Used to be my son's bedroom and stuff. It was it was a really you know awful experience. He had torn down the door frames. I don't know if he or somebody else was high and and you know was in some frenzy or whatever made it do it. But I'm mean, like you know like tearing down door like Greg, you and I would have to put effort into doing that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like this isn't just like spilling stuff on the carpet. That is like you know. You, you're renting into a biker gang, you know, that's high on PCP sort of damage that I, you know, so it was pretty darn bad. It was, it was a, a, a miserable experience. I hope nobody goes through it. Uh, my understanding, I've not spent a lot of time keeping in touch with this guy, but I did hear from somebody <laughs> through the grapevine that he had gotten into a uh, treatment program and was apparently no longer doing that stuff. So good, good for him. I hope this gets his life together, but uh, you know, still owes me a whole bunch of rent. So if he really wants to make things better, <laughs> He knows where to send the check. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's 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 the thing, and hopefully he does get uh, cleaned up. Uh, maybe part of the motivation was that he apparently wasn't very good at it, since he couldn't pay his rent, even though he was was doing all that. But uh, oh, oh, he, oh no, no, Greg, he had money. He simply chose not to pay chose me. Not to pay. Okay. That's what makes him the malevolent. No. <laughs> okay, the drug dealing was really bad too. I don't want to underplay that, but. Uh... Let's prioritize the grievances here. I think you've done that well. Uh, Jim, it's definitely time for the weekend. Have a good one. We'll see you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Tell your friends about us as well. Always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a fantastic weekend. And please join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hey guys, we know it's hard to keep up with all the news these days, but don't worry, because we're here to talk about all the things. Mask requirements for kids are being debated as the school year approaches, gas prices are spiking to insane numbers, and Jeff Bezos becomes another billionaire to launch into space this week. It's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.